Hey there, Film Buds. Welcome back to the Film Buds podcast. I'm your host, Paul. And I'm Lauren. And, uh, unfortunately, this is going to be our last show ever. You know, the Film Buds is, is packing it in. Um, you know, Henry was the one that really, he told us to, to go and, and, you know, jump off a, off a, off a tree. So we're packing it in. Yeah, it's this been a fun ride. This is the ride. last one, I know. It, it's a real shame. And that is also an April Fool's joke. Uh, not a particularly good one, but I can't help that. Um, I mean, improv is hard. <laughs> um, and I don't really have a lot of options on how I could possibly prank you people. Um, but that's what leads us right into uh, our first episode of the month of April. It's April 1st. Uh, not necessarily, I guess, when you're listening to it, but at least when it got posted, and if you're listening to it now. And, uh, it's a whole new month, and so we did a whole new theme, and we're doing April holiday films all week long, or all month long. Just for um, this week, guys. Mm-hmm. We're gonna be done. <laughs> April just Fools. cram them in, only do one week. That's um, right. But no, so we're, we're doing April holidays, and the first one that, that, you know, comes up is April Fool's Day. Um, dear, how do how do you feel about April Fool's Day as a holiday? I could throw the whole day away. <laughs> Honestly, um, I hated it as a child. I hated um, all of the practical jokes. I I find them very tedious uh, because people can just like go too far with them, and when you're the butt of the joke, like that's never a good feeling. So, and I'm not a big like pranker myself. So, like, really, for me, I could just, like, oh, no, it got left behind, you say, and we're never doing it again? I would be totally fine. No, I think that's fair. I think, um, I think it used to be a bigger thing when we were younger. I feel like it has lost some of its edge, but I also feel like that's partially to do with the internet, and I think that's partially due to the fact that, like, YouTube is so prolific with prank videos, you know, real or staged, and some of them do go too far, you know, and, like, there are, there used to be vines, you know, of of married couples that would pull pranks on each other, and, like, that was the entire history of, like, you know, their their presence on Vine, and there was that bad Ashton Kutcher show? Punked. Yeah! Mm-hmm. God. And so I think that, like, between some of the TV shows that you had, but then also especially because of the, like, internet proliferation, most people decided that they weren't for it, especially since, like, things were just getting more and more almost mean-spirited. Yeah. And I feel like what people weren't really in the mood for, and still aren't in the mood for, is is a joke being played on them. You know, like, no one's in the mood for that in today's day and age. No one has the fucking time for a joke to be played on them. An elaborate prank to be played on them. I mean, honestly, like, I kind of feel the same way about, like, holidays, like, I don't know, like, St. Patrick's Day. Like, sure, I'll wear green, but if you pinch me, that's the end. Yeah. We're, We're done here, you know? So, like, I feel like, yeah, I could just... Yeah, take it or leave it. If it's your thing, like, great. But also, you know, know your audience as well with your prank. Because, you know, pranks can go too far and you might be the one hurt. No, absolutely. 
And that is something that ended up happening, you know, to your point with some of those YouTube pranks. Some of those people took things too far and, and ended up finding themselves in trouble. Um, but enough about that. As I said, we're doing April holidays, and the first one is April, April Fool's Day, and so we decided that we would do April Fool's Day movies. The thing is, you know, there, aren't, there, there are certain holidays that are done ad nauseum in film and TV. You know, Christmas. Valentine's Day. Halloween. Yeah. New Year's Eve, even. And then there are some where they just, you know, completely live... On the on the periphery of the of the holiday movie spectrum, uh, or even TV show Leap Year, you know they've got that one movie and they've got the episode of Thirty Rock, but beyond that, nothing really happens for Leap Year. I mean, Groundhog Day has that has that movie and also a musical mm-hmm. that is based off of that movie, but you know nobody's nobody's over here really talking about them. So. We decided to search April Fool's Day movies, and we discovered that there is a movie called April Fool's Day. And it just seemed, you know, exactly perfectly up our, our alley. It was a horror film. Uh, it's it's a little bit off the beaten path. It's from the 80s. Uh, 86 to be exact. And so today, in honor of April Fool's Day, we're going to go and do the uh, April Fool's Day movie. And as always, we have a clip, so take a listen. Paramount Pictures cordially invites you for a weekend getaway at the party to end all parties. This is the craziest party that could ever be. Don't turn on lights, cause I don't want to see. April Fool. Welcome to my home and lifestyles of the rich and undeserving. Wrong. So that was April Fool's Day. Directed by Fred Walton, written by Danilo Bach, uh, starring Deborah Foreman, Griffin O'Neill, Clayton Rohner, Jay Barker, Deborah Goodrich, uh, Tom Wilson, Amy Steele, and the premise is nine college students staying at a friend's remote island mansion begin to fall victim to an unseen murderer over the April Fool's Day weekend, but nothing is as it seems. I think that's a pretty fair... We get some really absolute shit synopses sometimes. No, yeah, honestly, like, I think that that's pretty much exactly what this movie is. Yeah. Um, so before we jump too deep into the film itself, a little bit of background on April Fool's Day. So, April 1st, um, pretty much from the B.C. era until uh, the 1500s, this will all make sense in a second, uh, was under the Julian calendar. And it was, you know, a specific set of ways to map how long a, a year was broken up into a certain number of months and a certain number of days, where leap years also accounted for certain days and so forth. Um, but it was under a little bit of a false miscalculation, uh, the, the Julian calendar. And they thought that there were a few days um, off from how many days there actually are in an average rotation of the, of the sun, of the Earth around the sun. 
And so in 1582, uh, Pope Gregory XIII uh put forth that the the Roman Empire and all of their Catholic province, you know, in, in France and and other places were going to now begin to follow the Gregorian calendar. Um, one of the big shifts that occurred with this is that April 1st in the Julian calendar was the beginning of the new year. It came with spring, right? Life sort of went through its full cycle of birth, you know, age diminishing and and death and we started again and so originally april 1st was the the first uh the first day of the new year and then in the gregorian calendar it switched to being january 1st and it spread uh that change was made in 1582 to be exact um, but it actually took several, like, hundreds of years for it to really, like, take absolute full effect. Um, like, 1700 was when certain places, like, officially did their full switchover. Uh, it feels like us doing, um, the, the fallback, spring forward. Daylight saving time stuff. Yeah! Um, and so, for a long time, especially because you had... Catholic states and Protestant states and things like that, um, it took a while for this whole switchover to occur, for this change to happen. And what ended up happening is a lot of people decided to then, this is the supposed story of April Fools, started to mock all of the people, you know, on, on that first day of the, of the month, the people who were still following that it was the beginning of the new year. And so they would go and make these jokes of them and, and make fun of them and play little pranks on them. And those people were the April Fools. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that that is completely accurate, but literally every time we talk about the April Fool, all I can think about is, is the character from Fairly Odd Parents, who's, who's <laughs> the, the spoof on, um, uh, what is his name? The Comedian. Seinfeld. Yes, Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you've been talking about very serious stuff, and I've been, like, <laughs> literally thinking about that. Um, no, and that's totally fair. I, I honestly regularly forget about the April Fool. Um, <laughs> and so that's a little bit of the backstory. I, I really enjoy that history for the holiday because it, I think that it's funny how, like, shrug worthy the holiday is versus how fascinating the history of the holiday itself is um and also you know i also believe this wholeheartedly because people are cruel well and also it's it's human nature what i find also particularly fascinating about it is the fact that i think sometimes we in a modern setting look at the world as how established it is and go, well, we can't possibly do anything like that would really dramatically like change or shake things up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, back in 1582, some guy was like, we're going to redo the entire fucking calendar. And like, can you imagine trying to suggest 
in today's world, doing something as radical as we're going to completely redo the fucking calendar. You know what? (laughs) I think that somebody should make a movie that is like the theoretical happenstance of what, you know, if we did this in modern times, what would become of it? You know? Um, And so I, I think that like, I like that story because it's it's one of these instances of of history radically reshaping the world in a context that also isn't really that old. And I know that it's it's kind of weird to say 1500, you know, isn't that old. But if you look at the context of like all of human society, all of the the history of the earth itself, you know, billions of years, I think that sometimes we can get really stuck in this mindset of like well, that's how it's been done. That's the way it's been done. No, I completely understand that. That's how I felt um, when I was doing my whole like deep dive into Christmas. Mm-hmm. Was was how much we we picked and we chose things over a, an expansive period of time instead of it all just existing exactly how it is now, but like you know for hundreds of years, and that wasn't the case. And I it's just really fascinating to see you know. Where and now we just things. accept it, and if we tried to change it, exactly, it would be a shit show. Yeah, people would be up in arms. There would be pitchforks and whatnot. Because there would just be people who couldn't fathom the notion of changing it because they've been so accepting of, yes. what it is. Yes, yes, exactly, and it's very like cemented, mm-hmm. almost like how people like view the Constitution or something. They're like, we can't possibly change. We couldn't it. ever ratify a new Constitution, even though. That's exactly what they did. We absolutely could. Yeah, and then they totally left room for, you know, for advancements. It's like an issue of, of being able to to imagine something, you know. You watch, like, a reality show, like one of these HGTV shows, and someone brings a couple into the home. Sorry, we're a little bit off track. Someone brings a couple into the home, and they're like, I can't possibly understand what this room could be. Yeah, you know, but on a macro level of, well, I can't possibly imagine changing the calendar. No, yeah, but that's also why I equated it to mm-hmm. us doing the, the time change, you know. Yeah. It took us so long to get here. <laughs> so long. Uh, and who knows, it might not even last. No, honestly, I mean, it didn't last in the 70s. So, uh, but now that you have a little bit of background on on the history of the holiday, on our opinions on it, uh, and on the background of the movie itself, let's jump into it more earnestly. Uh, dear, what did you think of April Fool's Day? Um, okay, I, I really liked this movie. And not for, like, any of the reasons that I was truly expecting to. Like, I thought that, you know, a whole movie, a horror movie about the holiday April Fool's, I was like, they're gonna... They're gonna they're gonna do too much. It's gonna it's gonna be too hokey. The acting is gonna be very tongue in cheek. They're gonna be constantly like nudging the audience the whole time, like ah ah ah. You liked it, you know? It's funny. Whereas like I felt like they they took this this really I don't know I annoying holiday and kind of like put it in a reality that I could believe. And there were points where like. You would start to see the same gags done on different people at different points in the movie, which I found very effective because now, you know, people are dying and they have to get out of the house. And of course, that faulty fucking doorknob, you know, or 
whatever it was I thought that it was really clever how consistent everything was but also like the fact that kind of everybody was like equally annoyed with the whole idea of like this house being decked out for this hol this holiday specifically in in such an elaborate fashion and I thought that like the twist was was really good and it kept fucking getting me and I was like damn it how on earth how many times is this movie gonna trick me and I thought that that was probably the the biggest like surprise for me was was the fact that it was I kept falling for the joke in this movie about falling for jokes no absolutely um and going back to what you were saying about expectations I certainly was a little bit apprehensive about the movie doing a lot of repeated fake out gags mm -hmm. you know a lot of repeated oh this person died ah ha ha that death was just a prank and then two seconds later that person would actually die oh, you know yeah. i was a little bit worried that it would be this kind of continual for an hour and a half that sort of joke though would get very tiresome no for sure um and so that was one of my big concerns when i was going into it um, and you know, all, all movies are a grab bag. You try and go in with like a, as little of an expectation as you can. Um, and so even though I was going into it without too many expectations, I was also like, I haven't really heard anyone ever mention this. Right? You know, so like, I, I don't know what to expect, but I feel like the fact that I haven't heard anybody mention this isn't in favor of the movie. No, I, I completely agree. I thought that the acting was going to be really rough. and it was Yeah, just or gonna there be was like... going to be something about it that just totally held it back from, like, being something that, that made it worth talking about on a certain level, you know what I mean? No, for sure. Um, but no, I, I, I agree with you. I think that they managed to find some, some clever ways to kind of bring back certain ideas and certain jokes that they had sort of embedded were going to happen. Um, a little bit of a Chekhov's gun kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, they also, you know, you, I, I mentioned it briefly in, in the website post about this. You talk about the twist ending. A twist ending is in and of itself on a, on a certain level a prank. Yes. It's kind of the same exact structure as a prank. You have to get people to believe a certain reality is the absolute truth mm -hmm. to then subvert that expectation in some kind of way. Um, you know, a prank is usually doing it for some sort of comedic effect, whereas a movie can go and do it for some sort of dramatic or comedic effect, depending. Mm -hmm. um, but that's really what it is with, with that sort of thing. Um and going off of that, this movie is also a bit of a mashup. It is a slasher movie in the sense of there are people getting, you know, sort of killed. It's teens in an isolated location mm -hmm. with faulty adult figures around. Mm -hmm. And they're getting chopped up, you know, and that sort of thing left, right, and center. Um, but it also is a little bit of a whodunit. Uh, and they make that reference early on when they first get to the house of, oh, Agatha Christie, you know. Mm hmm Which, of course, you know, she's the one that, that created the, um... 
the Poirot character, if I'm not mistaken. And she did a whole bunch of the the sort of parlor room mysteries, you know, these mm-hmm. sort of clue-like stories of, well, who's the killer and how did how did it happen? Um, and so I think that that's definitely an element that they're pulling on here is it's kind of this whodunit parlor room mystery not unlike almost scream as well that's what i was thinking okay Mm -hmm. so i'm glad that you mentioned that because i was like this movie reminds me a lot of scream except in in a in a slightly different direction Mm -hmm. you know what i mean where it's like who is the killer why are these people going missing and it's you know, very teen horror movie because they are in an isolated location and they're getting picked off one at a time and nobody knows what's happening to another until we get to the climactic moment where it all feels like it's encroaching on you. But also, no, for sure, I felt like it was very much like a... In the in the sense of the of the comedy as well of it, you know, everybody is very serious in it, which I think is very important when you're when you're watching something because the actors are your grounding force even if the script is terrible if they believe everything that they're saying and doing is realistic and as honestly as they as as they can it can help you as the as the viewer believe that these things are also real and so even though the stuff that was happening was funny for them it wasn't and i think that that's like Something that also really reminds me a lot of the Scream franchise. Whereas, like, for us, it's amusing. But for them, it's serious. Mm-hmm. And that can be really difficult if you have the the wrong balance. Um, and I just... I was, I was truly pleasantly surprised by this movie. Because also, like... 80s horror movies can can be really like a flip of the coin of whether or not it's good or bad and i genuinely was like giveth and they taketh kind of thing no yeah and i was like no i had a i had a i had a true blast watching this movie to the point where like it made me mad every time i fell for it i was like son of a bitch again really really and it it just because it's it's just such a good ride and um Honestly, for me, it's kind of like completely a serious horror movie until it's not. And I think that that's great because it also kind of, I think it takes the, 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 the mystery out of how horror movies are made a little bit. And I think that that's a lot of fun as well. Well, and I think that that's what, you know, when there are a few slashers and a few, you know, genre blend horror films and i think that that's why scream makes a a reference to it and i think also buffy you know it's kind of this scooby-doo effect Mm -hmm. you know it's scooby-doo could easily be set up essentially as a slasher story it has all of the same sort of elements but it's this whodunit story really underneath it all you know Mm -hmm. it has the sort of paranormal ghoulish whatever figure um and so i think that that um is definitely what plays into it here a little bit and i i was watching a brief interview with um deborah goodrich and um 
she was talking about some of the more sort of thriller elements um, of the story and how ultimately like it, it has to be sort of this this effective mystery that has like a good payoff and it it, it does all of the all of the clues point in all of the right ways mm-hmm. for the big payoff in the finale um, and she was also talking about going back to the sort of teen factor of it that it was they were meant to be very much um, sort of brat pack john hughes kind of character types oh i think that that makes perfect sense i remember when we were like looking i was like writing down all of the information for this movie before we watched it and i was reading off the names of the characters to you Mm -hmm. and i was like these are the most just generic teen kid movie names you know where like muffy and nikki and skip and Chaz. And Chaz. And it's just like the the worst kind of combination of just like throwaway names like you could ever have. And I think that that also like really helped with the the whole like it could be it could be anybody, you know, kind of thing. But they're also that's not the that's not the important part of the story is like can you name all of the characters in this movie? Like no, it almost felt like they, they put in these filler names and they were eventually going to go back and put some better names in. And they were like, oh, whatever. His name is Skip. <laughs> <laughs> That's good enough. No, for sure. Um, and, you know, going back to that whole like comedy and drama run on certain similar wavelengths, right? Um a movie like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, you need the authority figures to be comically incapable. Yes. In certain ways. They need to just be ineffective. Mm-hmm. Um, you run into the same tropes with the moment that you do any kind of teen horror. You need the authority figures, the adult figures, to be kind of inept well, because, at every level. Because at the end of the day... And it's kind of the same with, like, let's say, like, Charlie Brown is, like, a really good example of this. Um, Because your perspective characters are the teens, are the kids. And so to them, of course, from their perspective, adults are worthless. I know what I'm doing. All you hear is the wah, 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 wah. You know, it's, it's, it's nothing because I'm... I'm I'm figuring myself out in this world and you can't tell me anything. And so like I think that it's it's always a a better more effective choice for anything that's centered around youth to then have have to have the authority figures, the adults in the situation completely just worthless because otherwise if they, they were actually good parents it would it would undermine so much of what ends up being the dramatic beats later. Exactly. And honestly, like half of the stuff that happens to our, our main character probably wouldn't happen if the adults were better at being adults. Home alone doesn't happen. Unless he gets left home alone. And that means that the parents have to, in that moment, be bad parents. Yes. Exactly. And it's not that they don't love their child or, you know, all of the all of the cliche isms, 
but for in order for the to get to the end of the movie for a narrative to happen yeah we have to have some kind of some kind of conflict some kind of thing happen that that thrusts us in a direction of this character now trying to figure things out on their own and so no i think that it's 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 hilarious you know in this that we've got literally somebody called the ferryman like he doesn't even get like a real name in this like he gets a very like scooby-doo villain kind of name like oh it's the ferryman yeah um no i i i really agree with you completely and like it has a whole bunch of especially for the 80s like recognizable faces you know i mentioned um amy Steele and tom wilson amy Steele is our final girl in friday the 13th part two mm-hmm Tom Wilson is Biff from the Back to the Future films. Um, So it also has that sort of fun time capsule nature of it as well, of what were these actors that we know for the things that were big doing at that time as well? Because not everything that an actor does, especially in their early career, are the things that get remembered, you know, throughout all of of time. No, yeah, and Um, like... Even, um, you were talking about Deborah, um... Goodrich. Deborah Goodrich. It's hard because there are two people named Deborah in this cast. Um, Deborah Goodrich. And, like, I swear I know her from something. Like, she looks so familiar, but she was, like, my runaway in the cast for me. Like, she was, she was so good. Like, I couldn't stop watching her. Well, and what's funny is she also is the one that ended up leaving acting completely, and now she's a thriller writer. No, yeah, and I think that that's that's perfect. I think that this is her entirely her niche. Like she found, she she found her 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 people, her calling. Yeah, exactly. Um, so do you do you have any other thoughts on on April Fool's Day? Um, do we want to talk about the twist at all? I mean, we can. I was I was hemming and hawing over whether or not I, sh- you know, we should talk about it cuz like I do want people to watch it too. I think that it's I think that it's a good movie. Yeah, um I, t- I, I we'll we'll talk about it a little bit. So if you don't want to hear it, we've got time codes about when the next part of the conversation picks up. Um do we want to rate it before we we yeah, do spoilers? For sure. Okay. Uh, why don't you go ahead and, and kick us off? Um, I think that I'm going to give this movie, I'm going to give this movie a solid four. I, I really enjoyed it. I hate, um, the whole holiday and that's, that's a lot of the movie and a lot of the setup and, but I really think that it's like, I would, I'd rewatch this movie. I thought that it was a, a great time and like honestly now that i know how it ends like i would love to rewatch it and see how even more so how we build to that um so yeah i'm gonna go i'm gonna go four out of five you know a nice a nice just right under you know i don't know i was gonna give it like a, a grade in school and then i was like well never mind because that's like an 80 and that's like a c so never mind <laughs> No, um, I think that a, I think that a four is fair. I'm gonna go three and a half. Okay. Um, I think there are some ways that you could have made some tweaks and some improvements along the way, but for the most part, I think that I was pretty satisfied with it. I think that you could have, um, I think you could have had a little bit more fun with some of the premise. You know, 
a little bit almost home alone-ish, you know, in some of the, the ridiculousness, ridiculousness of some of the setups that you could have done for pranks. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think could have given it a little bit of fun in that regard. But for the most part, no. I think that it's really effective. I think it's a good little good little movie. Well, that's, I think... Okay, I, I understand you wanting to go, like, a little further into it. But, the, like, as somebody who, like, actively despises being pranked, like, I was totally on the side of every time, like, she fucking turned on that faucet and got sprayed and, like, every time was just, like, so frustrated with it because you forget and then it happens again and it was just, I was like, yeah, no, this is, this is the right kind of reactions to these things as somebody who is, you know. No, for sure. Um, but. But other than that, very effective, very clean little movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the finale, uh, it gets revealed that this entire mystery of the island and essentially literally every death, every single death that has happened has been an elaborate hoax. Uh, all of them are pranks. And the two people that survived to the end were kind of the, the two that the, the, the main host of this whole event decided would be, like, the final people. Well, okay. I, I guess my, I have a, I have a question then. Mm-hmm. What, because for me, I thought that it kind of just fell into it. I in, like, a more organic way. Like, they ended up being the final people because they were more intuitive to the things happening. And, and everybody else was just kind of in the right place, right time. And that that is also definitely, I think, part of it. I feel like there were probably a few times where where they could have picked off one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it felt, it felt like it was a little bit maybe of um, happy accident and design at a certain point. Like... It could have been anyone, but also at a certain point, it was obviously going to be them. Well, yeah, and so no, she for just sure. ran with that. Um, but I think that that's also kind of the whole premise of of the idea that she has for for the island, yeah, and for the house. Um, did you find the reveal satisfying? I was so mad. <laughs> I was so mad because like i again like i said earlier i was totally on the ride of like all of this other than like the pranks of the house everything else was real and so the moment that our like final girl burst through those doors and we see everybody just sitting that has been long dead at this point just sitting around palling about just waiting for them to like basically show up i was furious i i would have left that friendship i would have been so mad like oh (laughs) even now thinking about it i was like if anyone ever does some shit like this to me you're done get out of here (laughs) friendship no i thought that it really worked and having having done um a mystery room you know an escape room Mm -hmm. a few times before it was really funny to me how kind of like proto form of that concept this was. Oh, with all of the like fake clues exactly. that were left in all of the rooms. You know, and so is it really a clue or is it something that is just there to make you think that it is a clue? And I thought that that was probably one of the most interesting and effective and forward thinking 
elements for me. It also kind of reminded me of the Cabin in the Woods movie, where it's Mm -hmm. like, depending on the thing that you pick, was the monster that you get. Mm -hmm. And so, them all having different things hiding in their room that literally told no narrative whatsoever. It was like... One thing was, like, about an abortion, and another thing was, like, about a car accident. And another so like, thing was, like, a heroin needle, you know? No, exactly. So it was really, like, and one thing was, like, a BDSM leather outfit. And it was just, like, all of these things were just, like, completely random and it didn't really lead to anything. But it got, you know, our our, our cast, you know, confused and, and bewildered and, and, and easy to, to prey upon. Ah, uh, gosh. But that... That one jump scare in the in the basement really got me with the the painting and the eyeballs. Mm. Um, the good. other thing that I was gonna say was that once you also get to the point of like, oh, it's all this fake put on thing, that also felt like um, the running or not the running joke, but one of the big reveals and jokes of Halloween Resurrection. Mm. where you know it's this reality tv program and we've gone in and we've staged the house to have the mystery of michael myers and all of the people on who are watching it live are like is it real is it not i think that this is all fake like no i think that's definitely probably like a, a brainchild of this you know um but overall no i definitely thought that it was a very very effective um finale no a very very effective moment and um and for the most part i had a really great time with this movie this is one of those that i think that you could adapt maybe not do multiple sequels but do like a really good modern new version of this no yeah like everybody's over here bringing back the the big dogs like i could totally you know completely the same idea but like a completely different you know set of circumstances characters location like we could really just like have this be an an interesting reboot you know reboot rehash um kind of i had a word it's gone now um revamp i don't Mm know (laughs) um no like if you went and gave this to someone like um like Fede Alvarez, you know, who did like the Evil Dead remake and like the new Texas Chainsaw movie, gave it to someone who has like some of that sensibility of ghoulish fun. Yeah. You know, in some of their their storytelling aesthetic already, who would also take it to that like little amped up level. Oh, yeah. You know, for I think sure. that it could be a lot of fun. And like not saying that this movie didn't have some like pretty good effects. Like yeah. I was there were there were some that I was like, oh, that's gross, you yeah. know, like it was it was it was per- perfectly a, a gory, a fun fest, you know, good time. Honestly, like I would would get a bunch of people and watch this movie together and have like a good night. No, definitely. This is. I think you're right. This is definitely a sort of a good time for for like a group kind of horror movie. Yeah. Um. Well, I guess with all of that said, we should go ahead and uh, move on. Sure. So to finish out our discussion, we're going to do a little bit of um, media news, but also a, a very quick, hopefully, is I'll, I'll tell it as quick as I can, uh, story. So we're recording Thursday. If you follow us on social media, you saw that Yesterday, 
I posted that I was going to a Slipknot concert with friend of the show, Nick Delgadillo. Party animal friend of the show, Nick Delgadillo. Um, so Nick and I are very, very close and we're very, very similar in, in many ways. But one of the, the ways that we probably do differ the most is in some of our musical taste. He, he has like very wide taste. Um, honestly, I guess between the two of us, I probably do have the slightly more like narrow music taste than Nick does. Nick really loves like a whole wide, wide range of music and loves live concert performance. Um, that boy's going to go deaf. Yeah. He should probably invest in earplugs. Um, and so he hit me up and like me and Nick have been to several concerts together. We went I think the first band that he and I saw together was a band called 10 Years, which is a whole show um, and a whole experience that I won't get into on 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 this broadcast. Um, and then we also saw like Foo Fighters together um, when they came to Greensboro. Um, we have seen Alice Cooper together. And so he hit me up late last week over the weekend and and asked if I wanted to go with him to this Slipknot concert uh, in, in Charleston, and we're in the Charlotte area. And I, I hemmed and hawed over it, but I was like, you know what? Slipknot is one of those bands that it's a very iconic band. It's worth it to just sort of bucket list items say that like I went and saw a Slipknot concert. I don't know any Slipknot music. I couldn't name you a song from Slipknot off the top of my head right now. And I even just saw them last night. Like, absolute no Slipknot knowledge. Dear, how about... Well, I, I know that you were of the same kind of boat as me. Well, I mean, ha, the same kind of boat. At least, um... You guys have, like, talked about Slipknot a lot. Like, I've heard this name thrown out several times. I had, like, created an, a whole mental image of what they looked like, which was, one, completely wrong um, to a horrifying amount, and two, I had the complete wrong kind of genre of music for said band. Literally, until we, we uh, you know, got back together... I had never heard of this band at all. Not, not once. I didn't know that there was a band called Slipknot. I didn't know that they had a plethora of fans. I, I didn't know. Pfft, not a bit. And, um, so the other day you were like, we're gonna go to this concert. And I was like, have fun. And I looked him up and I was like, oh, wow. Like I, my mental image was just so utterly and completely wrong. And, um, I'm fine that I wasn't invited and didn't have to go because I probably would have hated it. Um, I'm not sure that it would have been your cup of tea, to your point. I mean, I have a, a music degree and, um, I like to hear words in my music and I've still never heard any of their music. I'm sure it's lovely. And if you, um, like their stuff, then that's a, that's a personal choice and good for you. Um, but they're not a band that I would have ever watched. I was too chicken shit to to even watch like a horror movie growing up, let alone see a horror band. <laughs> um, 
So allow me to to tell you about my my Slipknot experience as someone who is completely unfamiliar. Very briefly, uh, so we get to the venue, which is this like sometimes a hockey rink <clears throat> in North Charleston, over in like the airport area. So like it's just nothing but hotels and shit, um, and and like where this venue is, and. We get there, we park, you know, it's like very structured parking, you know, they're flagging you where to go. We park, we get out, we walk over to the area that's an entrance, and the woman is like, we're not accepting floor seat entrance over here. And we're like, okay, where do we have to go? And they're like, the other side of the Coliseum. So we have to then go and walk all the way around to the other entrance. We scan our tickets, get inside, go in. Um, I go to the restroom and it's, there's a, there's a line in the dude's restroom. Several people are already very drunk. The show hasn't even started. There were, there was all, there were two opening bands and people are already very drunk. Jesus, this was a whole day affair. Yeah. Um. What? Who opens for a Slipknot show? Is it just more people like Slipknot, or do they have, like, I don't know, like, the Lake first, Shelton? The first band was, I think, we didn't see them. The first band, I think, was called War Dogs. No, oh, that sounds like something that should be playing in front of and Slipknot. And the second band was a group called In This Moment, um, which I think was the first photo that I sent you. Oh, Was okay. from the In This Moment performance. Um... And you like I already very much like in the in the interactions that I'm hearing in the bathroom and, and in the people that I'm seeing get a very much like a, a sense of the crowd that we're dealing with here. So then we get inside, Good we old get a Americans. drink, we go down to the floor. We're standing down there. We listen to the last like two songs of In This Moment, maybe three. And uh you know, some people clear out and stuff like that. And they go on at 9. And so it's around 8.30 at most. We hang out, just sort of, you know, chit-chat on the floor, stuff like that. And right around the time that, like, it's supposed to be kicking off, you know, people are coming down and they're playing some, like, just songs through the speakers, but they brought down all the lights and people are getting to positions and stuff like that. And in this really, like, movie moment, like, I'm just sort of looking around, watching the crowd and stuff like that, and I see these people come rushing up, and I look to my right, and I see this woman walking to to cross over to where she needs to get, and the, the group of, like, teenagers just, like, smack right into her, knock her beer out of her hand, the beer hits the ground, they're instantly gone in the crowd. You can't see at all who it is. And, like, the music is, like, now officially just starting to go. Mm. And it's like, oh, wow, this show is, like, beginning. And this is the first thing that happens. It was this very wonderful little interesting visual moment. And the woman was so distraught at, at losing her beer. Um, and But you could also see that, like, she knew that the music was about to start and she was not about to commit to going all the way back upstairs to getting another beer. And I love, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I love that you described what 
I could only imagine from her perspective as a as a wonderful visual experience. Yeah, because no. literally for her, that was probably just like a son of a bitch mm-hmm. moment. Like, a, well, I just wasted twenty dollars on overpriced beer. <laughs> no, but you know, comedy and tragedy. Um, and so, um, then they get into it, and I think they get through like one whole song ish, and suddenly I see this, like, shirtless dude coming through the crowd, and he he just has no real solid motor control at this point. You know, arms are just kind of going everywhere. He doesn't have a lot of central body support. Um, and he is just stumbling around, trying to get away from, like, his two friends that are trying to corral him. And, uh, as he, like, comes by Nick, Nick is sitting there, air drumming away, having a great time. And this guy sees Nick and is like, oh, don't mind if I... And he starts to, like, air drum along with Nick as he, like, runs away in a dash, trying to get away from his friends that are trying to corral him. Every time you you, you describe somebody coming and going in a dash, it just it makes me think of, um, the Harry Potter when they're at the, the World Cup. And everybody's just running around and they lose Harry. <laughs> you could have lost someone here. And I'm so, sure, because also it didn't seem like a lot of people wanted to be found either. Uh, they finally sort of get him over toward the stairs and they're trying to get him up the stairs and it's not going in his favor at all. Um, and security notices, or event staff notice, and they show up. And then, like, security for the event shows up. But then security for the event realizes that they're in too deep. And so then the real police show up. And before you know it, like, in a flash, like, somehow this guy is up the stairs and, and just out of there. Well, no wonder you didn't hear any of the songs or know any of them now. is because you weren't actually... This is this is what me at church is like. The, the sermon is happening, but I'm too busy watching the people. Um, and this was all within the first two songs of of the whole show. And so by, like, song two, someone's getting getting taken out of there because they are just gone. Man was absolutely obliterated. Um, but then the rest of the show was honestly incredibly uneventful. Uh, you know, they kind of got out some of this weird energy, like, right up there at the front, and then it just sort of leveled off, and it was pretty much what you expected from there, which is, like, music so loud that it makes your skin vibrate. Uh, and, and a lot of people in cutoffs. Um, and so... <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I love that you described it as something that you would expect, and that was not something that I expected. I'll tell you what. <laughs> um, Everybody was wearing their Daisy Dukes? No, but there were a good number of people who had self-altered their, their clothing, definitely. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of, like, muscle tees and whatnot. Oh yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, there was this guy... And this is probably the, the next biggest highlight of it, which was that, like, every song... This man was at church. Every song for him was a religious experience. Um, and and there would come a moment in every song where he would just... Both arms held out, just head all the way back, staring up at, at the sky, I guess. Uh, just absolutely engulfed in the moment. Uh, just having a complete religious experience while listening to Slipknot. 
No, 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 no. If you're having a real, uh, he isn't looking up at the sky. You know, it's it's an eyes closed thing. You're feeling it on the inside. Mm-hmm. You're just you're just letting the the mood take over. You looking at the sky. You're then you're distracted by what you see in the sky. <laughs> Uh, and so he was, he was just absolutely into it. And, and I also really enjoyed how, like, let it happen. Like, he was about the, the mood of the, of the experience when also it's incredible 100% headbanger music. Like, there was this little girl, she probably was like 10 years old, who was there, headbanging like a motherfucker. Um, just, and she had this huge mop of curly hair. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm going to be the prude here really quick. Mm -hmm. Um, this is a school night. (laughs) There were a lot of children there. These people homeschool. (laughs) There was one kid who was... Because I would have just, I would have been passed out. I would have been like, I'm going to bed now. Give me the keys to the car. I'll see you later, guys. There was solidly a kid who was essentially asleep through the last, like, song of In This Moment. Mm. See? 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 That's when you fork up the money and buy a babysitter because you do not need your child at the concert with you. They're not going to get it. No. Um, but that, that's a little bit of my experience with Slipknot. I thought that I would share it with y'all. Um. Insanity. I, I love that you, again, had got no impression from the show itself other than people watching. You know, um, the music was, the music was fine. Um, there were definitely some songs that I kind of enjoyed the experience of the song more. Um, but it definitely was not necessarily, like, my kind of music. Um, okay. The Alice Cooper show was a better show for me, because also, like, Alice Cooper has a lot of theatricality and, like, set and costume changes and, and like, this sort of thing. Whereas... I really love all of the, the people, the bands that you, you talk about where I go, this is the first time that I'm hearing about them, and I will nod and smile and go, oh, <laughs> to this story. Um, but it was, it was good. I don't know that I would do another Slipknot concert. I think that that's fair. Um, so question, question for you. Uh, is it anything like Metalocalypse from... Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay, 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 cool. Um, Like Bat Metal? Yeah. Yeah. So then I would have really just not enjoyed any of it because also I like to hear the words of a song. Crazy concept, I know. Um, but when you don't say them clearly, I go, well, this is just nonsense now. This is just, this is white noise into a microphone with a bunch of loudness happening around it. And that's, that's somebody's cup of tea. It's not mine. That man was downing water, and I imagine other things to try and soothe his throat in between every single song. Well, then that means he's, that he's also just not doing it well. He needs to learn how to, how to do this screamo shit better because there is a way to do it without hurting your vocals. Um, Nick was telling me some some interesting stuff because he follows a lot of, you know, very metal and, and heavier sort of bands. Um, and he said that the, the lead singer of Korn um, has, like, an oxygen mask off stage, And he goes and, like, re-ups on oxygen at certain points throughout the, the performance, I guess, because he gets so, like, winded or maybe potentially lightheaded. 
That's concerning. <laughs> I have never in in my years of being a performer ever been ever, like I need an oxygen stat. I've never even seen anyone do that unless they really need it. The only person that I have ever seen actively take oxygen was what was it? 11th grade statistics with Mr. Goodwin. <laughs> and that man bring that, up. that man rolled around with his oxygen. Mm-hmm. Sounded like Darth Vader. Um, but that was my Slipknot experience. Amazing. Amazing. Um, I hope I hope that you all enjoyed listening to it. <laughs> I'm, I'm honestly, I'm glad that I just, <laughs> I literally stayed at home and... Had a nice quiet night. Yeah, with the folks, you know? Um, we had a great time watching whatever the hell animal show that was with An- with Andy Serkis as the narrator. It took me a really long time to realize it was him, too. I'm not even going to lie about that. At first, I was like, oh, it's some British dude. And I was like, wait, this isn't British. And then I started to go down a rabbit hole of who it could be. And then I realized that it was Andy Serkis talking about apes, which I felt was very fitting, considering of War of the Apes, mm-hmm. he is. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, so that was... that that. That was my that was my experience, and now I guess we'll jump into some proper media news. See, um, we just watched two new trailers that have come out this week, um, or within the the last week or so. Uh, the first one is for the new Alex Garland uh, horror film Men. Alex Garland, for those of you who don't know, did Ex Machina. He did Annihilation. I think he was involved in the the dread movie with carl urban um dear what did you think of the the men trailer oh i'm so excited about this movie uh i can't wait to watch it it looks so good um and it is it is so hard once you once you start to to watch a a hmm, an exuberant amount of movies you just start to to really like it's it's almost like the the elevator pitch of uh when you see something new you're like all right you have 10 seconds to impress me or else absolutely not i'm not watching this there's like a definite yes list there's like a sure if i'm bored list and there's a hell no list and this one was like definite interest um i i am i love the cast of what we've seen um, I think that the concept is really interesting. I, I want to understand more of the twist. I have some theories about what this movie is about, but I'm going to wait until we actually get to watch it. Like, this is a movie that, like, I want to watch in theaters. You know, there aren't a lot of movies that I'm, like, willing to to deal with theater crowds and, and, and sticky seats for, but, like, this is it. I'm pumped. I'm pumped about this. No, for sure. I uh, I quite like his work. I think Ex Machina is a great movie. I really enjoyed Annihilation, uh, and I, I think Dread is awesome. We saw the first trailer for this with X. Um, yes, also a great movie. Um, and, and we had a great time, or had a great time with that first trailer. Um, this trailer shows a lot more, but it, it, still held back a good amount and so i'm pretty interested in it i love the cast rory kinnear i think is a great actor um so i'm i'm quite looking forward to it 
the second trailer that we watched was Top Gun Maverick. Uh, Dear, how did you feel about Top Gun Maverick? So, until you told me just now, literally as we're recording, that this, this, this trailer came out this week... Or like sometime in the in the in the nearish past, um, I straight up was like, "This is the exact same trailer that we watched from the last one." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "This isn't new." Like when you started to play it, I was like, "Why? Why the hell are we watching this? Like we've already seen this." Um, I think that it. I'm okay. So, um, secret secret time. I have never seen Top Gun all the way through. Oh, okay. So I know all of the all of the isms. I know all of the the stuff about Top Gun, but like I've never actually watched the movie start to end one hundred percent in one sitting. Um, so this movie has really nothing in like a in like a nostalgia vibes for me. Like I'm just gonna go, all right, cool. Look at all the stuff that they're doing to make it feel like the last one, like that dude's mustache. I, I really thought for the longest until they were like he was his son, um, that the mustache was just a choice that they were putting on his face to make him look like maybe he's not sixteen. Yeah. Um, and then I realized that they were just doing a play on the old movie and I was like, Ugh, not interesting. You could have done so many more interesting things. Your dad is clean shaven. You don't walk around clean shaven just because you're obsessed with your dad. <laughs> so like him having a mustache be to honor his father or whatever it's for is like just like a whatever not everyone can just rock a mustache and i'm sorry actor whose name i don't know um you can't miles but teller miles teller um and i've enjoyed him in other things i just i think that this movie is probably just gonna be um a little under impressive. I think that it's going to try and be safe and hit all of those nostalgia buttons just so. And in, in doing that, we'll lose a lot of it's like anything interesting that it could have done. No, I think that that's all really fair. This is a much delayed movie. I think it was supposed to come out in 2020. Huh. Um, this is one of the, the pandemic, you know, sort of affected films. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I have seen all of Top Gun a few times. I quite like Top Gun. Um, I agree that I think it will probably end up doing a lot of the safer emotional beats. Um, but I am really pumped for a lot of the spectacle of it because they did strap cameras to a lot of fighter jets and put the cast, including Miles Teller and some of them, in fighter jets and film them, you know, flying through the air and doing some of these maneuvers. And so I think that on a spectacle level, it's going to be tremendous. Oh, yeah, for sure. I just think that the plot is going to... It's going to be a safer plot. Oh, yeah. You know, if this was, if this is a potluck and all of the, all of the things that make a movie, like, get to come inside, like, oh, no, the plot didn't get invited. Um, I... I do know that this is also a movie that's been, like, kicked around for a long time. Because originally they were trying to get this movie made with the first one's director, Tony Scott. And Tony Scott um, passed away. He he committed suicide um, several years ago. 
and it went back into like a, a permanent hibernation, you know, kind of thing for a little while after his immediate passing. Um, so I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited to, to have it. I, I, again, I, I don't think that it's going to be great, but I think that the spectacle of it will be tremendous. I'm curious to see how this movie is different from every other of this kind of movie that we've gotten. Legacy sequel stuff, yeah. Exactly, because, you know, you've had so many things to see either flop or succeed before you, so, like, if you don't take any of that and you still make a pretty subpar movie, I'm I'm gonna be really disappointed, you know? You're the kid who had the most time to study at this point. No, I think that that's, um, I think that's totally fair. Um, and I'm not sure how it's going to go. Tom Cruise, as much as I do love him in the Ethan Hunt role, and in some stuff that he has done semi-recently, I would be interested in seeing him go back and trying to do, like, another A Few Good Men. You know, it's a, it's a character part. You know, you are going to be doing just nothing but drama scenes, so you have to be present, you know. And I would be interested in, especially once we get past Mission Impossible 7 and Mission Impossible 8 and Top Gun Maverick, in seeing him go back to doing some of that, because he was actually really good at that. And the thing is, is that's just not the thing that's paying the bills or, you know, pumping that adrenaline straight to his penis. So, um... I really don't think that that's going to happen. I I think that Tom Cruise is officially just an adrenaline junkie and in the worst kind of way. No, I think that that's fair. Um, speaking of, of action films, uh, I did want to briefly bring up uh, the very sad news that, that did get confirmed this week, which is that Bruce Willis is retiring from acting. Um, he... The initial reports were rumors of dementia, uh, but what he actually has is referred to as aphasia, which is essentially an a growing inability to not be able to process um, or create speech and communication. Um, it's very tragic. It's very sad. Um... And I imagine that especially for someone who, who made a living constantly communicating, you know, with scene partners, you know, with people on set, with the press, etc. Um, you know, I, 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 it must be incredibly difficult. Not that it wouldn't be hard for anyone, you know, going through this. We're, we're social creatures, you know, communicative creatures on a certain level. Um... But I imagine that there is something very, very difficult about being an actor and lo losing the ability to speak. Um, so it's very sad. Um, Bruce Willis is certainly, I think, one of the, the one of the great action stars, obviously, of that decade. And I think that one of the reasons that I, I always liked Bruce Willis a little bit more, especially growing up, than like Stallone or Schwarzenegger, was that he he wasn't like some ultra jacked you know, dude, like, John McClane was just, like, a fit cop, you know? Oh, yeah, no, he, he had that right kind of, like... 
every man. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's 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 perfect. Um you know, it was very approachable. He was he literally, he lost his hair like really young and like still just like kept going with that. You know, he wasn't some heartthrob, sexy looking dude. He was just like he was just an every every man and like who had like a charisma about him. Yeah, and like a a, a gruffness and like an interest. You know, I I one of my favorite movies with him is uh, the Fifth Element. Mm-hmm. I think that he does a phenomenal job in that, and like I could watch that movie over and over again. I I I I love that movie, and I think that we are truly to your point. You know, he will he will be missed in the world of acting, um, as especially as as high as as is what he his what he was. You know, I'm not talking about the the Expendables or whatever the old people action movie is called now where they were like, let's bring all of the people back from these eighties movies that you watched. And and now they're 75. Um, but no, like his, his heyday is, is truly something remarkable and you can't recreate that. And, and he will definitely, definitely be missed for sure. And I know that he is not gone, but, um, his, it's, it's still a, it's still a, a star that, that is 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 dimming yeah um but to to not end the show on too dour of a note you know I, i will say this he's a tremendous person and at least we have the movies that we have. No, yeah. You know, and, and he's surrounded by people who love him and who um you know, and that's really important. A, a good support system is always, you know, it can't be it can't be bought. No. And so, you know, we may miss him entirely in acting, but people leave the career of acting all of the time to do other things. And so who knows what's next for Bruce? This isn't the end. Um, well, and and also the the benefit of of people that are, you know, artists in some kind of way is you can't always go back whenever you miss them to the art that they gave you. Exactly. You it's, know? it's 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 forever, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the the great thing about art, and that's why I also think it's crap that we keep trying to bring people back from the dead. But that's another sidestep. Uh, but to to not leave on too down of a note, uh, the last thing that I wanted to talk about was the Oscars, and not the thing that everyone else won't shut up about with the Oscars. I wanted to address uh, some of the fun wins that we had that were a little bit more groundbreaking. Um, so first of all, uh one of the big wins that we had uh at the Oscars this last week, Jane Campion became the third woman to win a directing award for uh best or uh, an Academy Award for best director. Woo! Uh there aren't a lot of women that have won uh before this. The only other two were Catherine Bigelow and Chloe Zhao. Um Beyond that, the only other women that have ever been nominated were Lena Wertmuller, uh, Sofia Coppola, Greta Gerwig, uh, and Emerald Fennell. So, very small list of, of women that have been nominated, even smaller list of women that have won. Um, and she was very deserving. Power of the Dog was an incredible movie. Uh, we had our first deaf male actor win an Academy Award, Troy Kotzer for Coda. Our first actor 
you know, of the deaf or hearing impaired community, hard of hearing community, to win any kind of award was, of course, um, Marley Matlin. Uh, and that was years ago. That was mm-hmm. that was a while ago. So it's amazing that we've honestly, like, I'd say put, like, 20 years in between these two. And they were in this movie together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he he won for Best Supporting Actor. We had our first openly queer woman of color, Ariana DeBose, win Best Supporting Actor female. Oh, I didn't know that she was openly queer. She does a great job as Anita. Mm-hmm. Um, she's... She's great as Anita. Um, real quickly, you know, um, we we recently watched that, and we'll talk about it a little bit a little bit in just a second. Um, and the last big one that was uh, a history maker was Riz Ahmed, uh, the actor, uh, who was the first Muslim and Pakistani actor to be nominated for Best Actor, is also now the first uh, Muslim man to win Best live-action short documentary at the Academy Awards. No, that's awesome. Um, so he's he's a tremendous filmmaker, or actor. Um, I'm glad that he was able to go on and, and make a documentary that, that was so well-received. And I wanted to talk about some of the things that happened at the Oscars that are um, truly changing you know, the perception of film for someone watching mm-hmm. and are a sign of changing times of what's seen as viable and who is seen as successful and and what is represented on the screen. No, yeah, for sure. Uh, and also in the awards, mm-hmm. you know, because Troy Kotzer is never going to not be an Academy Award winner now. Well, yeah. Um, and so I think that that's tremendous. And I wanted to, to recognize some of that. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's nice to go and, and look back on these moments that are truly, you know, making history and, you know, it's, it's kind of like a a weird, like, feeling where you're like, huh, I'm living through this right now. And, you know, you always think of, like, history as being something in the past tense, but, like, history is active and it's all around us and we can change it so easily with the choices that we make. And we can we can make more history or we can continue to, to, well, I mean, not more history. We're always making history, but we can make great history or we can make crap history. You can change the calendar. You cannot. Exactly. You know. Um, no, absolutely. Uh, the last thing I guess that we'll actually end on is we'll do a little bit of what we're watching. So, dear, uh, what what have we been watching since the last time that we recorded? Well, let me throw out my handy dandy notebook. Um, okay, so the last time we recorded, we we watched a uh, Blood Simple, mm-hmm. Rear Window, mm-hmm. and uh, West Side Story. Yes. Um, and I also watched the O nine Star Trek and Looper mm. as well. Um, you were in like a whole sci-fi mood. Yeah, I, sci-fi mood, but also a little bit of, of still the noir sort of thriller stuff, you know, with Blood Simple and Looper. No, yeah, for sure. Um, I've really been enjoying what I have been watching lately. I haven't really watched anything that's been like a, a dud for me lately. Um, how, how about you? 
No, um, no, I really enjoyed the movies, and, like, I was looking at this list and literally be over here being, like, blood simple, blood simple, blood simple. Oh my gosh, I remember it now. Like, it, it took me a minute, um, just because I, I truly, I love the Coens, love them, all of my heart, terrible titles, across the board, can never remember what the hell the movie is about by just looking at the title alone, like, you just have to know. Until I was, like, over here being like, I don't think I watched this movie. You know, just by, just title alone was like, no, I've yeah. never heard of that. Um, but no, I think that we've, we've had, like, a good array of, of, of some fun, of some fun picks over here. Some movies that I've personally never seen. Um, some that, that are, you know, legacy babies. Some that are things that I've heard of, but never gotten around to, like with Re Rear Window. I thought the Rear Window was was phenomenal. A little sexist, but you know, it's it's from 1954, so it's gonna be a little sexist. It's not as it's not as offensive, I guess, as other things we've watched. Um, but like, it's also just really interesting to kind of like go through, because we have like a wide array of like the movies that we watched. Uh, Blood Simple and Rear Window are exactly 30 years apart. And then we watched, you know, the new West Side Story, which was absolutely phenomenal. Um, can't can't talk about it more, but like just 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 watch it. I think that it's, I think that it's truly just as spectacular. Um, what what musical theater in the best kind of uh, light and with the most care can can be in a movie? No, absolutely. Um... I think that's all really fair. Um, I don't really honestly have terribly much else to add, so I guess we'll go ahead and let our listeners get on with it. Yeah, you know, go out there and make something amazing. Yeah. Whatever it is. Um, thank you all for listening. Uh, we hope that you enjoy April. If you are a part of the newsletter and you're listening to this, then you either have already gotten or will be getting... Um, the, uh, the upcoming content for all of April, uh, you, we schedule everything out. I'm going to post the full schedule next week. Um, but also a good reminder for, for y'all go and, and sign up for the newsletter. It's on the website. Um, also be sure to go and check out last week's episode or any of our great episodes from women in film, which we did all throughout March. And also go and check out the new review that I posted for the HBO docu-series One Perfect Shot. Uh, also, as always, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, leave a, rev a review, tell friends about us. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks, to y thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to y'all next week. Bye! Bye.